0: Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting.
1: When you're studying, if you're discouraged, don't give up. If you don't pass the first time, second time, don't give up because you never know what the CPA is going to do for you in the future. It gives you marketability
0: you will never have. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA, and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Bill Yeager, the founder of Yeager CPA Review. A previous guest, Professor Mansoor Farhat, actually put me in contact with Bill for this episode and I'm very thankful for that. Certification has been very beneficial in my own life, so I'm a little biased in that area, but honestly, I feel like it truly has made a difference for me personally. So anytime I can get someone on the show that's from the certification world, I definitely want to take advantage of that. As you're going to hear, Jaeger CPA review started over 40 years ago, so Phil has seen quite a bit in that time. If you're looking to achieve the CPA certification yourself, this is an episode that you are certainly going to want to hear. However, it's also a great interview for anyone that's considering the educational space or the education industry, whether in a university setting or in private commercial education, really either way. He shared some great insight from his own experience over a few decades of being in that field. Phil definitely doesn't hold back. If you do like this episode and you find this been particularly valuable to you, please check us out online as well for additional accounting career resources. You can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have a career-focused blog, all the other podcasts, of course, and a few books specifically focused on helping those in the accounting profession. Once again, that's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Bill Yeager of Yeager CPA Review.
2: Hello, Phil. Well, thanks for making the time for us today.
1: Mark, it is my pleasure to talk to you today, and I hope you're doing well.
2: Wonderful. Yes, I am. Definitely. Well, for our audience, we have Phil Yeager, and yes, that's the Phil Yeager from Yeager CPA Review on the line with us today. This is going to be a special episode. Certification really is a game changer in your career, and so I like to do everything we can to help those that are looking to make that investment in their own career because I know personally, it's definitely benefited me throughout my life. If you've ever contemplated getting your CPA certification, or maybe you're approaching that time in your career now, I invited Phil to come on the show to talk about his own career, of course, but also to share some insights with us on taking the exam, because we want to help you with some best practices, but we also want to help you avoid some of the potential pitfalls. So Phil, I definitely want to get into all that, but before we do, I always like to start at the beginning so that our guests understand how you yourself got into accounting. What initially led you to think about accounting as a possible career?
1: Well, I grew up in New York on Long Island. And back then, you did one of three things, okay? And I guess there was a comedian who said, if you were really bright, you became a doctor. If you weren't as bright, you became an attorney. And if you really were dumb, you became an accountant, all right? Well, I wasn't terribly bright. First of all, I couldn't be a doctor because I couldn't stand the sight of blood. I would faint immediately. And being a lawyer... It looks good on TV, but that's not exactly the way it is in the real world. You have to do a lot of research, writing, and that was in it. Because I like to deal with people head on. I don't like to sit at a desk all day and just write or just play with numbers. So, anyway, I became an accountant. I majored in accounting. And really, initially, I really didn't like it because I found the professors that I had weren't what I would call a motivational type professor. They were quite, as we think of it back then, the typical accountant, you know boring, dull. And I said, you know, I don't want to do this. So I actually went back to my parents and I said, you know, I want to change major. And my mother said, you know, don't do that because you'll come out with a major and you won't be able to get a job. At least do something where you can come out and get a position so you can start earning a living. So that's basically how I got into accounting. Now, as I will tell you later on, It was a good decision, even though, really, I only did accounting for the first five years out of college, I mean, working for companies, all right? After that, as you will find out, I pursued teaching, and I'll tell you why a little later. So anyway, I hope that answers your question, Mark.
2: No, definitely. Actually, this is interesting. You're not the first person on the podcast that has said they were going to become a doctor, but they couldn't stand the sight of blood. You're actually the second, believe it or not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I can remember, I'll share this with you. I remember the last year of high school, we took a health course, we had to take a health course. And one of the classes, they showed us a lung cancer operation. I'll never forget this. And the minute they made the incision, I mean, they showed this whole thing. The minute they made the incision, there was blood, I fainted at my desk. And the next thing I remember is actually waking up in the nurse's office with smelling salts. That's what I remember. So no, I couldn't stand the sight of blood at all. And if you oh, want to be a doctor, you got to be able to
2: tolerate blood. So it was the wrong career for me. Just thinking about that I, it makes me yeah, <laughs> not feel so good. That's wow. 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 <laughs> well, moving on. Actually, I'm curious about those first five years in accounting because you told me a little bit about that beforehand. There's some interesting points in there. Tell us about your actual accounting experience, so to speak.
1: Well, I interviewed on campus. I went to the University of Rhode Island and I interviewed, first job I interviewed was with General Electric Company. And General Electric had a financial management training program and sounded interesting. So, what I did was, I was offered a job. I was actually offered a job, three different positions. I was offered a job with General Electric, financial management training. And also, here's something that's way out. All right, I was offered a job with Macy's in New York, but that was in a retail management training program. And that sort of turned me off because I'd be doing retail work which was working 6 days a week and I didn't know if I wanted to work in retail so that wasn't the answer and the third offer I got was from American Airlines in their I guess financial management training program and I'll tell you what turned me off on that the guy said to me you have to clock in every day at work now I was coming in from when we first got married we lived in New Jersey so I had to come in from New Jersey into New York City Manhattan and you know, you're dependent on either a bus or a subway or, you know, and those, especially the buses, they could be late. They don't pick you up on time. So it was always a possibility of get in there late. So I said to them, well, what happens if I don't clock in exactly at 8.30? Remember, that was 8.30. He says, we write you up. And I said, wait a minute. I said, you write me up? I'm a professional? He says, yes, we have to do that. You know, I said, I can't guarantee, you know, I could be late. I mean, not due to my causing it, but something like public transportation. So actually, that turned me off because of that. So General Electric seemed like the company to go with. And also, I went with them. And you're going to say, this is really a crazy idea. Why I went with them? Well, we got discounts on General Electric products. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's
1: (laughs) right. And I bought a lot of, back then, GE made light bulbs. All right. I used to buy all these light bulbs, and we got 50% off. And also, all my family members, friends would always ask me, go into the GE store in New York and get us light bulbs. So, you know, that was a reason to stay with General (laughs) Electric for a while. Great deals on light bulbs.
2: You you were meant to be an accountant.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to sell light bulbs, resell light bulbs. Then, after General Electric, I decided, you know, I was in like a training program, six month training programs. And at the same time, you had to take the financial management training program, which was like going back to school. And it was every Tuesday night and Saturdays. So once it started, I went Tuesday night and it was like taking intermediate accounting all over again. And they gave us pop quizzes. I mean, it was like midterms. That was the most stressful part of the position. All right. But here I am all day. And what was my first assignment? My assignment was to put in social security numbers as people came on to the general electric company to get into the payroll system. Well, I did that. And if you talk about a boring job, that was it. And besides that, in the payroll department, which I was at, all the people in there were people who really didn't have a degree. And I was making more than they were after being there 20 years. So they resented me. So it was not a pleasant position. So when the six months were over, all right? And they said to me, you know, you've done such a great job in this payroll, we're going to keep you there for another six months. And I said, no way. So I then started looking for another position and I got a job at Seedman and Seedman in New York, which was my first public accounting job. And I was there for a year and a half, almost two years. But then all of a sudden they had the largest accountant's legal liability situation that went on. There it was a the first major legal liability case against Seedman and Seedman. And that was called equity funding. And it was a company, it was actually a, it was sort of like that guy, Bernie Madoff. What was happening is this company was setting up a mutual fund, and they were taking people's money, but never investing in anything. So the partners, and uh, Seaman, who was in charge of this audit, he always signed off and gave an unqualified opinion. And, you know, there was a huge fee for this job. So, you know, Seedman didn't want to lose them. The partner didn't want to lose them. So he also signed off, always unqualified. Eventually blew up. The partner went to prison and all the principals. But the problem was this got out and Seedman started losing all of the big clients. So during the tax season, we were sitting in the staff room with nothing to do. And that's very boring. If you don't go out and you're not working and just sitting in a staff room all day, you can go out of your mind. And we were playing cards, different games. And then people would come in, the partners, say, what are you doing there? We didn't hire you to play games, play cards. Well, we didn't have anything else to do, all right? But they preferred we just sit around and do nothing. So then I went to, this was my last position before I gave up five years of accounting in New York. It was with a company called J.H. Cohn. J.H. Cohn is now in with a company called Resnick and Company. And J.H. Cohn was in New Jersey, actually. And I enjoyed it. It was actually a nice, small firm It was actually nice to be at, but eventually it got to the point, I didn't like politics within the office. And no matter what you got involved with, you would get sucked into some type of politics. And all I was, the type of person, I came in, wanted to do my job, and then that was it. I didn't want to get involved with the petty office politics. So after five years, I said to myself, well, what am I going to do? Well, I got my MBA at Fairleigh Dickinson University in actually management, not accounting. I had a degree in accounting undergraduate. So I went for management, it was called. And at the end of the MBA, when I was finished, I kept calling the head of the accounting department at Fairleigh Dickinson. And I said, can you give me a class to teach? I'd like to try to teach. Might be fun. And I called him probably 15 times until he finally said, you know, I'm going to give you a class because you're such a pest. So he gave me a class and I actually went in there and I really liked it because I like to talk in front of people. I think you can tell I like to talk. I like to talk in front of people. I got such good interaction, and the people really thanked me, and my evaluations were good. And then I said, you know, I think I'd be best in doing college teaching. So that's what happened after the five years. I went into college teaching.
2: Wow. So how long were you in education or in teaching prior to starting the CPA review?
1: Well, I was in... God, I'm going to date myself if I tell you, all right? (laughs) I... (laughs) I started teaching 1972, 1972, and I was in education continuously. And I, when you're teaching at college, usually you teach like either two days or three days a week, so it gives you other time. And during that other time, and by the way, I went to Maryland. I, you know, I found a job in Maryland, Annapolis, Maryland, at a community college, and I was there. You know, at the different college, I left there, went to University of Baltimore, but I was teaching for God. I would say a good 25 years before I was just doing the CPA review. But at the same time that I was doing college teaching, I had a practice a couple of days a week that I started, and also I was still doing college teaching. So I was doing the CPA review at night, college teaching during the day, and then the days where I wasn't teaching, I did the practice that I had. I did a lot of tax returns, because I enjoyed tax returns. The interaction of talking to people, It was like a puzzle. They come in with a problem, and I tried to solve it from a tax standpoint. So that's really what I was doing. But I was in teaching a long time. College teaching. And I liked it, but you always had to deal with the administration. And once again, college teaching is very political. And if you're not prepared to go on for a PhD and do research, especially when you go to a four-year school, then you're gonna have problems with the university, you know, the chairman and the deans there. That's what makes it uncomfortable. You could do the greatest job teaching, but if you're not willing to do the research and publication, forget it. They're not going to give you tenure. And you got to get tenure because if you don't get tenure, they fire you after, I think it's seven years.
2: Interesting. Okay. I didn't realize you taught for that long.
1: Oh, my God. oh yeah. I taught at University of Baltimore. I taught at American University in DC. I taught at University of Maryland. I can't remember all the schools, but I taught at the university level. I always enjoyed it. It was great until you get someone like, for example, oh, I taught at Catholic University too, but that was my last job teaching, actually. But I remember at Catholic University, here I am, I come in there, and I'm there for a year and a half, two years. Next thing they know, they want to get rid of the chairman. So all the people with tenure wanted to fire, get this guy out. Well, I didn't want to get involved because I was not tenured. But no matter how much I tried, I still got sucked into this thing. And it was really unbelievable. I mean, you can't believe the pettiness that goes on in these universities. But I enjoyed the teaching. Yeah, you know, I said to him, leave me alone. I just want to teach the students. I really like the students. I like to help them. But no, there's a lot of politics in college teaching. I don't know if you've heard that before. I'm sure you have.
2: A couple times, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, a few
2: times. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So when did you start the CPA review? How did that start? I
1: started that in, okay, I started in 1977.
2: And okay.
1: what I did was there was an ad in the Journal of Accountancy. Back then, they used to have ads like in the back. You know, they don't have them anymore, but I guess they do. But anyway, it said there, do you want to acquire a franchise and CPA review? So it was a blind ad, wrote back, and I get a call, and let me just keep the name of the franchise out, okay, because they're still around. And I was the first franchise. They had live franchise. We were live teaching back then. Of course, there was no streaming video. It was all live instruction, all right? So I was the first franchisor. I had the Maryland area, which is Baltimore all the counties of Maryland, also DC, District of Columbia, and also Virginia. So I started that in 1977. And that's how I got into it. And I have to tell you that the first time I ran it, we started just in DC. We didn't go into the other areas yet. So I had 13 people. And with that 13 people, there were about two or three people in there from Ernst and Young. It was Ernst and Winnie back then, but Ernst and Young. And those three people passed the exam the first time. So they went back to the human resource person and they said, you know, this is Phil Yeager. He's got this course. It's unbelievable. So as a result of that, the next time we got 45 people.
2: Wow. All right.
1: So it started growing very fast. I'm very lucky. And then we went into Baltimore and different counties in Maryland. And of course, it was live teaching. You couldn't go into too many counties because you needed people to teach. And I found it's not that easy to get people who can teach live and keep the people awake, you know, because a lot of these people who would teach, we call them room clearers, all right? They'd come in, all right, and they'd clear the room, and people would leave, and they'd say, Phil, that guy was terrible, because unlike college, you could have the terrible professor, but you're not going to complain because that person's going to give you a grade. In CPA review, the people who teach there, all right, the students will complain because they're not going to worry about that person giving them an A or B or C.
2: Interesting. Okay.
1: How did the transition work from
2: owning a well, franchise to. What
1: happened was the franchise, the nice thing about this franchise was they had terrific books. I mean, the books were laid out, loosely bound, three different colored pages. I remember this white, blue, and yellow. White was the text, blue was the questions, yellow was the explanation. And the gentleman who had this franchise, and he was out of Boston, by the way, he really kept these books up. But like anything else, eventually, all right, he decided. To retire, and he turned the business over to his son, and his son was not an accountant or a CPA, and the son let the books go, you know, to nothing. So we decided at that point, all right, that, and we were with this franchise probably maybe ten years. After ten years, we said, hey, we need to find another book publisher, and we found another publisher whose name I'm not going to mention, all right, but we were with them for thirty years, buying their books. We were the largest purchaser of their books. And then it became Jaeger's CPA Review.
2: Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm curious, at that point, how far had you spread? You were talking about a couple states, and it sounds like you had some. No, no. We always stayed, you got to realize, we did oh. live teaching.
1: And it depends upon having good live instructors. Okay. And we had three or four instructors who, actually, I was the original instructor. I had a partner at first, and he taught the auditing and I taught everything else. And then as students passed the exam, a lot of them expressed an interest that they wanted to teach. So I would say, all right, you took our course, and I would try them out, just like, you know, you would try out for a play, a part in a play. And then, you know, if they had any potential, all right, I would work with them. I would eventually have them teach a class, see how the students reacted. I was very, very particular who taught the class. So it was live. So, you know, we had a location in Virginia, a location in D.C., and a location in Maryland. That was about all we could do. Now, eventually, we had, trying to remember the system, we were able to have a fourth location because we had the camera in one location on the instructor teaching, like me, all right? And then the fourth location, they would pick it up on monitors. And the advantage of the system was they could actually ask me questions. I could see them and they could see me. And that worked out quite well.
2: Interesting. Okay. Okay. So what does Jaeger CPA review look like now? How are y'all positioned? What what do you feel? Well, this is how we're positioned, all right?
1: When the exam went computer-based, then, all of a sudden, we couldn't give the course live anymore in just the Washington, D.C. area because, you know, now these people can take one part at a time, and we didn't know what parts they would take at any specific, you know, session, all right? So, we tried it live once, and we were working seven days a week. It was ridiculous. So then we had always backed up our course with videotapes, all right? So we filmed every class with videotapes, and the students would take those out sort of like a, you know, if they missed the class, we give them the videotapes. We were like a blockbuster. I don't know if all of your people know what blockbuster was, all right, mm-hmm. where you take out videotapes, you know, you rent videotapes. Yes. This is before we had voodoo streaming video and all that stuff. So. We decided, hey, we're going to film our course, put it on video, all right, and then we'll sell it throughout the country. So we had to become known nationwide and international. And we were not known nationwide and international because we were just known in the Washington, D.C. area. And in the Washington, D.C. area, we had probably, I would say, close to 700 people every five months in these four locations. So, you know, we didn't worry about being known in, you know, Nebraska. Ohio. All right. So being that we're teaching this one part a time thing, all right, we had to become known nationwide and internationally. And we were fine. We started taking off quickly. But then, of course, a lot of competition came into the business, a lot of big companies. But these big companies had real deep pockets. And now, in order to actually get into the market, you have to spend money on, you know, Google passwords. All right. You have to bid on them. And then, you know, it's the Facebook videos, and it's very expensive. And if you have deep pockets, you can become known a lot faster than the ones who don't have deep pockets. And honestly, we did not have deep pockets, at least comparable to these competitors who came in. They were major, major companies. So yeah, we are holding our own. And we're actually, what had happened was for about a year, I decided that I needed a rest from this. So I took off about a year. I did some teaching, I did the filming, but I wasn't as active in the business. So I had to get back after a year, all right, and really start teaching, get involved with the marketing, get involved with dealing with the students. And now we are coming back strong, all right? And the reason we're coming back is this. Today, with the exam the way it is now, and I don't know if you're aware, the exam is testing people on higher level critical thinking, okay? No longer just memorizing the old questions. And we have always, always been teaching the concepts so that you can apply them to no matter what they give you. Now, the AICPA decided this. The big four came to them and said, you know, people are passing the exam, they're coming to work for us, and they don't know what they're doing. So therefore, they must have passed the exam some way. So the AICPA looked into this and found out that people were just memorizing old questions and the questions they were asking On the exam, including the simulations at the time, were just basically, if you memorize the material, you could possibly pass the exam. Good chance. So now, in the last year and a half, they have now gone to blueprints, all right, which are tasks that you have to know. Now, if you know the blueprints, then you can pass the exam. However, we decided that we're going to write our own books. And what we did was we took every blueprint and for every blueprint, we write the information under the blueprint that you have to know. And as far as I know, we're the only course that really integrates the blueprints into our books that we write. Now, other courses say, oh yeah, we use the blueprints, All right? Yeah. Their idea of using the blueprints is that they give people a copy of the blueprints and they show them what they are, but they don't integrate their material into the blueprints. So you have to watch these people. I mean, that's their idea of we use the blueprints. The minute we said, we were the only course that used the blueprints. We had one course that challenged us and said, oh, no, we used the blueprints. So we took out that we were the only ones using the blueprints, where really the truth is we are the only one. Using the blueprints means we integrate the material for each blueprint. And these are tasks because now the ASCPA says, look, we're going to give you task-based simulations, and we're going to try every way possible to see if you can apply thinking. You know, you have to know how to think to use, for example, documents they may give you, all right, to come up with the answers on the exam. If you can't do that, you just memorize the old questions, the old multiple choice questions, you're not going to pass this exam. Although there are some of the review courses out there just saying, oh, do thousands of multiple choice. First of all, they're not giving good advice. And I'll tell you why. All right. We're considered an approved course provider by the ASCPA. And we're not the only one. There are, you know, three or four besides us, But not everyone out there selling CPA review materials are approved course providers. Now, what's the advantage of being an approved course provider? Well, we meet with the ICPA Education Division twice a year, and they tell us specifically what's going to come out on the exam. Not, you know, they're not that specific, but they can tell us this is what's going to be on and this is when it's going to be introduced. For example, they told us that the new Tax Act, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, you know, the Trump Tax Act. That will start being introduced for the first quarter of 2019, and they came out with some new blueprints. They replaced blueprints and add other ones. So we have rewritten our books with the new blueprints. All right, now there weren't a lot, but you know enough that you have to know the new tax law from an individual standpoint, and what other areas it covers. You know, corporate partnerships, estates, and gifts, that type of thing. So we are always teaching the current material, and we tell them, we tell the candidate. This will be on starting first quarter of 19, such as I mentioned, the Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Okay. So we teach and we teach the concepts. No one else teaches concepts. The courses still out there. Basically give you PowerPoint presentations and they say, memorize, memorize. In fact, there's one course out there. All they do is they give you so many mnemonics. You know what mnemonics are, don't you? Sure. In fact, you might have even taken that course. I don't know. But anyway, that doesn't work anymore all right? If you think it does, well, you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money. So that's what I think makes us really a strong offering in this market.
2: Interesting. I didn't know that some courses out on the market are not approved by AICPA or don't have that approval, I guess is a better way to say. That Uh, that is correct. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, what what do you feel that people taking the CPA exam are doing well these days? What do you see that yeah, you know, students are doing well in terms of preparation.
1: Well, all I can do is I can tell you the people who take our course. I don't know what other people are sure. doing in other courses. But, I mean, I do read the different forums that are out there on the Internet. And I know that there are certain things about other courses they don't like. I mean, I read that. Unfortunately, some of these bloggers with these forums, if anything negative is put on about them, they remove it. This is what goes on in this business. Very unprofessional. Really, you know, I've been in this business so long, it just sickens me the things that go on here because of the internet. All right. People will write negative things. And within a matter of minutes, if it's about the course that's writing these, that has these forums that sell materials, all right, they remove the negative things. And that's not good. You know, you're not being informative then. Hey, listen, if someone doesn't like you, leave it on there. Let people look and see, you know, well, this is what this person thought. You know, you can't have it one way. You can't have it where they just put in positive things. And the other problem, let me tell you what's wrong with the internet. One, we don't know. If you look at some of these forums and they say such positive things, we don't know if they place that on the forum themselves. There's no way to control this. So I recommend this to a student, okay? First of all, I can't comment on how other people are doing. I can comment how our students are doing because... I do keep in touch with the students. In fact, when a student buys a course, initially, I tell them to call me and I set them up on a schedule. And for the next two, three weeks, I tell them to call me every week just to check in. And then about two weeks before the end, I tell them to call me and I go over and see where they are. Now, a lot of students avail themselves of that service. Some do not. You can't force them. All right. But because I do that and no one else. And by the way, this is another thing. You go buy another course. Go see if you can call the owner. And ask the owner to talk to you. You can talk to me seven days a week. All right. You may say, What am I crazy? No, I just enjoy talking with the people and trying to help them out. But we are the only course where you can reach me. You get my phone number, you can talk to the owner. Now other courses have people you can talk to, but a lot of times they're not even CPAs and they're not even CPA review instructors. So what's better? You know, is it better to talk to them if you're lucky enough to get through to someone? Or can you talk to me? Who you know? I've been in this business a long time. Maybe have some better advice than other people. Maybe I don't. But I believe that people need to look into these courses. They don't look into the courses. All right. This is like buying a car, Mark. If you bought a car, when you buy a car, Mark. Here we go. I'm interviewing you, Mark. When you buy a car, do you just go in and take the first car, or do you go and check a few other places?
2: Oh yeah, check a few other places. Of course.
1: Okay. All right. Well, people. They don't do that because a lot of them are too lazy. And one of the things you should do is one, ask them to see a demo of their course. All right. We have demos of our course on our website, but if a course doesn't want to show you a demo, then you have to think, why are they holding us back? What don't they want us to see? So you got to look at demos. One course may be better than other courses for you. Everyone's different, but I think if you really look into a course, and by the way, this is an important investment. One, It can be a substantial amount, all right? And also, you could waste yourself for so many months studying garbage in, garbage out. So I recommend you really look into courses like you would look into buying a car.
2: Okay. Well, on the flip side then, there again, from what you see from your customers, what mistakes do you feel people make? It sounds like everybody's not calling you. (laughs) As <laughs> you're offering. All uh, right, here's oh, the deliver- mistake. Yes,
1: not everyone. Yeah. In fact, I feel lonely certain days. No, actually, people, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, luckily, they don't call me you know, 24 hours a day. But no, I mean, if you're offered certain benefits, take advantage of them. You know, I am saying to people, in fact, when I do Facebook videos a lot of times, I say to people who are watching that, even if they're not our student, please call me. All right? Show me your diagnostic report if you failed, and I'll try to point out to you the areas that you have to study in order to pass that part I mean discuss with you the weaknesses. I'm offering that free. You know, there's no gimmicks. People can call me. I give them my phone number on the Facebook videos. All right. Now, do you think they call you? No. All right. Maybe that's because people don't like to talk today on the phone. I don't know. What do you think?
2: I was going to say they probably text you. <laughs> uh,
1: no, they don't even text me.
2: No. Wow. No, no. They, okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, got it. When I took the exam, I was studying. If someone said to me, hey, hey, I'll give you help, just give me a call, that's fine. But it doesn't happen today. I don't know why. Maybe they think there's something tied in if you call me, like I'm going to send someone over to your house and follow you.
2: Yeah. All right? No, I'm not going to do that. You're going to collect their number and they're going to get a...
1: I'm going to collect their number and I'm going to go over and rob the houses. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding.
2: (laughs) Well, is there anything you see, you know, coming down the pike that's going to make passing the exam harder? Okay. Obviously the
1: AICPA is going towards this higher level critical thinking. All right. Okay. And in fact, if you go on the internet, there's all types of articles now on higher level critical thinking, but they want you to be able to figure things out. Okay. You got to think, you got to figure out things. For example, let's assume you have a simulation. If I can give you an example, you have a simulation and they ask you to do a statement of cash flow using the indirect method. All right. Now, you have to start with net income. Now, are they just going to give you the figure net income? No, they'll give you an income statement. They'll give you maybe a document that shows changes in current assets, current liabilities, and then maybe some emails, documents between the people, like you know, discussing acquisitions of assets, that type of thing. So you have to know what document to use to get your answer. You have to know how to do something. That's the whole thing. And therefore, if you actually, if, you know, if I went into a client, and I do a statement of cash flow. The client, I'm not going to say to the client, hey, give me the net income. Give me the changes in current assets, current life. No, I have to look at the documents when I go into the client and figure out which documents I need to look at to get the information to prepare the statement of cash flow.
2: There you go. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely going to exciting. Gonna be more Mark? challenging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah, going to become more challenging. For sure. But you know what? Who knows what they're going
1: to... They come up with different things. Anyway, I mean, this critical thinking, higher level. It just came out, I mean, and then we had to figure out what they were talking about. So, you know, it's whatever, the ASCPA examination division, the ICPA makes their own rules. They set the rules. So if they decide, hey, they want you to know an area, you know, one of the areas they're thinking about is artificial intelligence. They said in the next few exams, they may start talking about artificial intelligence. Mm. Okay. So we're going to have to go find what information based on the, they'll give you a blueprint and we'll have to figure out what they're talking about. So, you know, you just don't know what they're going to come up with.
2: You have a lot to keep up with in your business, definitely.
1: (sighs) Yeah, more so, but I can't say I'm the only one. I have some good people now who actually help me. I have a real good person, young lady, who's really familiar with all the research stuff, all right, and she keeps up with all the pronouncements. I do a lot of tax stuff, but I have people, you know, I'm not the only one who does this. I, you know, I'm not going to point myself as, you know, a, a real hero that I will do everything. No, I have other people. You have to have good people and luckily I have good people.
2: Sure, sure. Well, before I get to the final three questions, just one more question in this section. What do you enjoy most about what you do? Okay, I'll tell you what I enjoy. I enjoy, first of
1: all, helping people. You know, it's more than just, people call me up if they don't understand the concept or something. And I'll explain it to them. I prefer to talk to them on the phone. It's easier than emails or text messages. Secondly, all right? All I say to the people, God, if you pass, please just give me a call and let me know. And the people call, you know, they'll say they really appreciate everything I've done. And all I want is to thank you. You know, that's all I really ask. And people do write nice things on Facebook. You know, they like the course, the course covered it, that type of thing. And I get to meet people. For example, you had a guest on, Mansoor Farhat. Mansoor, his last name is Farhat. He's called me up and he, he really likes what I do. And he'd like to work more closely with us. And I said, well, that could possibly work. So, you know, I have people calling me that want to work with us. And I'll tell you one thing that I don't get now that I used to get. When we were live courses, all right, I would, you know, I'd go to a continuing education class in the D.C. area and I would meet people who took the course maybe 20 some odd years before that. And I don't remember everybody. That's impossible. But, you know, I'm pretty proud to say they remember me. And I had one guy came up to me and he said, at a continuing, he says, you know, Phil, you made a difference in my life because he was, he's head, I don't know if he's still working, but he said he was head of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation auditing team. And as a result of the CPA, he was able to move up to the, you know, in charge of that. And he says, he makes a very good living. And if it wasn't for that CPA designation, he wouldn't be where he is today. And one other gentleman who took our course, one of the first people He became Auditor General of the United States Army, the top level accounting position in the United States Army. All right. Now, he called me up and said, we want to bring in 30 people here to the auditors. But he says, we want to run a course here to do CPA review. We'll bring in 30 people from all over the country. And they brought in 30 people. And we went up there. And I did that course for two years. And, you know, I enjoyed that because I met different people from all over the place. It was fun, you know, and those were adults and they really were serious. They weren't there to fool around and they listened to everything and they, they interacted and it's a great experience when you have good interaction between people.
2: Definitely. Yeah. I can see how with your
1: personality, you would miss the live interaction. Yeah. And the but live let me just share one thing. I don't know how many minutes we have. Can I share one thing? Sure. Sure. As a result of having this course, all right. I've done well with it. It's been able to give me things that probably I wouldn't have if I didn't have a CPA. And I now like to get involved with philanthropic situations. And as a result of that, I've met some real neat people. So I give to certain charities. And as a result, I've gotten to meet Hoda Copy from the Today Show four times. I've met Olivia Newton-John because I gave to her charity, which was breast cancer. And unfortunately, she has breast cancer again. And also, I don't know if you know Willie Geist from the Today Show. He's actually on Morning Joe. And, you know, that's just a few of the people, but God, I go there and I meet these people and just, they appreciate what I do. And they talk to me like, I'm just anybody off the, well, not off the street. All right. Someone who they've known for a while. And that's a good feeling. I really, this is getting to meet people that I never would have gotten to meet in a million years. So you have to give back, you know, you can't just take, 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 you got to give back in life. So
2: that's what I try to do. Thank you for mentioning that. That is important to cover on a show like this. I went to the Shark Tank set. How's that? <laughs> I, met, I had lunch with Robert Hercevic from Shark Tank.
1: Do you watch Shark wow. Tank?
2: Yeah, he's a nice one.
1: <laughs> and also, I've had lunch with Barbara Corcoran. She's oh. just, these are super people. I mean, these are just nice people. I mean, they have a lot of money, but they're nice, down-thirst people. So anyway, I'm not going to name drop, all right? But I know Mark, I know you, Mark. Mark yeah. Goldman. I drop that name all the time, Mark.
2: Was <laughs> it that and a dime will get you a cup of coffee? And no, on. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I end every podcast with the same three questions. So I'd like to get through those before we shut down. The first one's usually the easiest for people. What's been your proudest moment from a career standpoint? Proudest moment? Well, obviously
1: the one where that student came over and told me I changed his life. Also, when I used to do, we had, we had live courses, as I told you, regular courses. But then at the end, we had a live cram course that we did the last two and a half weeks on weekends. And I, at the end of the cram, people would stand up at the end and give me a standing ovation. And, you know, no matter how many times I got that, I never took it for granted. And every time it happened, it gave me sort of tears. I didn't, you know, it just put a lump in my throat. And I think I miss those standing ovations. I really do. And and then we had a party after that before the people took the exam. So, you know, you just sort of schmooze with your people. And they're just nice people. I mean, I got to meet a lot of nice people. And I appreciate that. And I, I miss that because of the computer-based exam is no longer obviously live. So I don't get to meet the people that much who buy our course.
2: You need to do community theater or something like that, Phil. You... <laughs> uh No. <laughs> <laughs> you, you uh, what would I play? Well, Give me a part. Do you got a part for me? Uh, well, what no, do you I, I'm, I'm sure there's <laughs> one out there. You just you need a place to perform for sure. <laughs> I do. I go out on the street. No, I don't. No, someone you know. People would say to me, "Are you a comedian?"
1: You know, because at the end of the classes, I would say, you know, I would tell these jokes that come out of nowhere. All right, and they're clean, by the way. And I would say these things, and it's just what's in my mind. It's amazing. And these people would come up to me at the end of a cycle live course and say. Hey, do you have someone who writes these jokes for you? So I said, no, they aren't jokes. I don't tell jokes. I just tell these quick stories. Just that if I saw people were falling asleep, I would stop and tell them this ridiculous thing that came to my mind. And yeah, should I have been a comedian? Probably, but not,
2: I can't tell jokes well.
1: I can't tell jokes well. So I don't know.
2: Okay. Well, second question, tell us about a mistake you've made and we need to know what you learned from it, of course, but the bigger that you're willing to share, the better. Okay, here we go. I was at my
1: first job teaching at Anne Arundel Community College in Annapolis, Arnold, Maryland. That's where it is, all right? I was there for four years. One more year, I would have had tenure, and I loved teaching there. It was just a, we were a nice group, like a family in a way. But I taught part-time at University of Baltimore. The chairman of the department of University of Baltimore, at that time, they needed accounting teachers. So he came to me and he said, Phil, we're going to offer you a full-time job at University of Baltimore, you know? You can make more money, all right? It's more prestigious. And I was stupid. I was only thirty two years old. Okay? So I left Anorondo, went to University of Baltimore. Now I was there for a week. The dean calls me in and says, By the way, are you going for a PhD? Are you gonna do write papers? So I said, No. I said, Professor So and so told me that wasn't part of the deal. So meanwhile, you know, the dean says, Did you get that in writing? So I said, No, I just believed him. So what did I learn from that? I learned, first of all, don't believe everything someone tells you, all right? Make sure you document it. And, you know, that was a... I left Anne Arundel. I was so unhappy at the University of Baltimore for the period I was there. First of all, I was in the city of Baltimore. And I was in a suburban area where the community college was. And going into Baltimore every day wasn't the greatest idea. But that was a mistake. And here's another one, okay? The biggest mistake I ever made was to say you know, I'm not going to go on for a doctorate. I'm not going to publish. Well, I did go on for a PhD. I got a PhD and I published at Catholic University, all right? Published five articles. Catholic University had an economics and business department, not a separate accounting department. So who is actually evaluating my articles? Economics people, all right? And I remember I put in for promotion, put in for tenure, got turned down. And they said, my articles didn't have enough charts and graphs. So, you know, what did I learn from that? I learned that even if you go on for a doctorate and you write articles and you go to a university, it doesn't mean you're going to get tenure.
2: Interesting.
1: Okay. That's was that lesson. colossal enough?
2: Yeah. No. Thank you. Yeah. I got. What's the most collo- Is that
1: what would you consider a colossal story? I, I'm not sure.
2: No, I, I like the one leaving one year before tenure. That's that's a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> uh, certainly was. But you know what? Now. Everything turned out okay. You know, everything turned yeah. out. So, you know. That's right. That's right. You know, at that
1: point, we can't look into the future. We just don't know what's going to happen, but I guess you have to have enough faith that things will
2: turn out. Yeah, I think you've done okay. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received?
1: Well, I didn't, back then, when you took the exam, was it four parts or one part at a time?
2: It was one part at a time.
1: Okay. Well, I'm sorry,
2: excuse me. It it was two and a half days in a row. Yeah, that's what we were. I did the
1: two and a half days, just like you. Yeah. All right. Well, back then you had to pass two parts and get a 50 or more on the parts you didn't pass. So anyway, I went in there, all right, the first time and I took this review course for six months. And you know what? I went to the mailbox, all right? The envelope was thick. So I knew I didn't pass. All right. So I was ready to say, the heck with the whole thing. I was teaching at Anne Arundel, you know, and I got to get the CPA. And I'll tell you why I get the CPA. I, they made me head of the accounting department there. So I had to get my CPA. So anyway, a good friend of mine, I called him up because I wanted to talk to someone. And I went, I talked with this guy and we used to commute every day. And I said to him, you know, Alden, I said, I'm going to just give up. This is just a blow to my ego. I hate it. So he said to me, he said, Phil, if you don't go in there and take it again, you're going to feel terrible and you're going to make the worst decision of your life. So I listened to him. I went back, studied for three more months, took the exam, and then I passed all four parts. And to this day, I will never forget this guy, Alden Smith, who I went and I taught with. And unfortunately, he was taken by cancer, but I owe him a lot and got it. You know, it wasn't for Alden. I probably would have given up. So that's the best advice I ever received. Don't give up. When you're studying, if you're discouraged, don't give up. If you don't pass the first time, second time, don't give up because you never know what the CPA is going to do for you in the future. It gives you marketability you will never have. All right. And I'm sure that you know that you get a better job in life, better positions with the CPA versus not having it.
2: Yes, definitely. And actually, I would have been disappointed if your best piece of advice didn't somehow tie into that. So that's beautiful. That really is perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you. you. well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes from Phil's episode. We have the show notes from every episode, actually. And we also have a career content blog that's pretty new and some books that may interest you as well. Once again, that is Where Accountants Go. Well, Phil, thank you very much for joining us. If somebody wanted to reach you or find out more about your review online, what's the best way to do that?
1: Well, I can give you the phone number, okay, Okay. and I'll give you an email if you want, all right? The phone number is area code 301, 301 is Maryland, 874-4900. That's 301-874-4900 and press extension 5 and you'll get through directly to me. Also, if you want to email me, all right, my email is Phil P H I L dot jaeger. Everyone always messes my last name up, but it's Y is in yellow. A is in Apple,
2: E is in Edward, G-E-R, Phil. Jaeger, Y-A-E-G-E-R, at com. Well, thank you again for taking the time for this, Phil, and thank you to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.